Welcome to our Good Friday service. My name is Danny. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and it's great to have you all out here with us this evening as we recognize and mourn the death of Jesus, the Son of God. The service tonight will feel a lot like a memorial service, and that's intentional. We, one of the things that Christians have done for thousands of years is walk through the journey from, uh, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday and remind themselves of the journey that Christ himself went on, especially in this holy week, the journey that he went to the cross on Good Friday uh, more than 2,000 years ago. Tonight in our service, we're going to take some time to have some readings. We're going to start with a reading from Psalm 22, which you'll probably recognize as one of the one of the lines from that psalm is one that Jesus cried out from the cross. And it's a psalm that was written by King David to express his anguish, feeling like God had departed from him. God had abandoned him in his time of need. And my encouragement to all of us as we walk through this service tonight is to really embody what it might have felt like to have been there on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago. Imagine what it would be like to be a disciple watching their Savior give his last breath away. Imagine what it would be like to be Mary at the foot of the cross or to be John at the foot of the cross. Imagine the gravity of that moment that marked human history forever. I was thinking a lot of the words of the Apostle Paul when he talks about mourning in the Christian faith. He says, we mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. And tonight will be a night where we will mourn the death of Jesus and we'll be wanting to hear a little bit of a glimpse of good news, a glimpse of Sunday. And we're not going to give you a glimpse of Sunday as we walk through the service tonight. But even as we mourn, tonight we will mourn not as those who have no hope. We will mourn as those who are eagerly awaiting Easter Sunday, which will be coming in just two days. After our reading tonight, we're going to have a few other things. We have a a responsive reading on the stage for you to to listen to and to take in. We're going to have some time of silence tonight for you to just sit and and rest in the gravity of the crucifixion. Uh, We'll have some worship tonight, and if you want to sing along in the times of worship, you are welcome to do so. You can find the lyrics for our worship on two places, one on our Three Crosses app if you have that. Or if you go right now to threecrosses.org slash lyrics, you will see the lyrics for the two songs we'll be singing tonight. Threecrosses.org slash lyrics. We'll also receive communion together as a community tonight. Uh, I don't know what your church background is here at Three Crosses. We believe that communion is open to anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. And so if you have trusted in his death for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've trusted in his resurrection for newness of life, you can receive communion with us tonight when Pastor Buzz takes us through that section of the service. If you didn't grab communion elements on the way in, you're welcome to sneak out. They're right in the middle of the lobby at the connection area. If you're watching at home with us tonight, you can prepare some bread Uh, grab a cup of grape juice or red wine and receive communion with us in about 30 minutes or so. We'll do that together. I want to pray for us and then we'll move into our service. At the end of our service tonight, we're going to end in silence 
And we would ask you to remain in a posture of silence until you're dismissed from this room and out in the lobby where you can uh, connect with some folks and talk again. But we'll have our ushers come forward. We'll dismiss you after the benediction row by row. Then we'll be back here on Easter Sunday, 6.30 a.m. under the crosses. You're welcome to join us. And then in this room at 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. Um, and in Spanish at 1 o'clock. And you can reserve tickets for the indoor services. Or if you just want to show up at 6.30 a.m., you can just come on out. You don't need to reserve a ticket for that. Just bring a blanket, a lawn chair. Uh, and we'll have all of our services be identical this year. And so if you go to the sunrise, you don't need to come on back in at 9 o'clock. But we'd love to see you on Easter. Happy Good Friday. Let me pray for us, and we'll begin our service together. We think of the words that Jesus shared on the cross in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we are reminded the death of your son is one of the most unique events in all of human history. The moment where your fellowship with yourself, in a sense, was severed. The moment when you poured your wrath on your son. The moment when you turned your back on yourself. The moment when darkness covered this land. The moment when sins were atoned for. We pray that tonight as we worship you, that we would be filled with the gravity of that occasion, as well as the gladness of, of knowing what the cross accomplished, the gladness of the hope that is to come in a few days. And yet, we pray that though we will not mourn as those who have no hope, that we will mourn tonight. That the pain, that the gravity, that the sin of the world brought upon our Messiah Jesus would hit us in a way maybe it's never hit us before. We pray that we would rest in this darkness for the next few days as we eagerly await a new light to dawn on Sunday morning. And be with us as we lift your name high. Be with us as we hear from your word. And be with us as we mourn the death of your son. Be with us as we respond in song. We pray that you would be with us as we receive the communion elements and think about the body and blood of Jesus, which is given for us on that tree. And remind us, like the Apostle Peter said, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his stripes are we healed. Amen. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'm reading from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. 
You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. You may be seated. We'll be coming to you from the response of reading Books of Common Prayer. Blessed be our God, forever and ever, amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this, your family, for whom our Lord, Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and into suffer death upon the cross who will live and reign with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Behold the cross on which hung the Savior of the world. Come, let us worship. My people, what wrong have I done to you? How have I offended you? Answer me. Through baptism, I led you from slavery to freedom, but you lead your Savior to the cross. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I led you through the wilderness. I fed you with the bread of life, the manna from habit but you lead your Savior to the cross. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I planted you as my fairest vineyard. I grafted you into the one true vine. I gave you the water of salvation, but you gave me gall and vinegar to drink and leave me thirsting upon a cross. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I gave you a royal scepter, but you give me a crown of thorns. I raised you up to newness of life, but you raised me high upon a cross. Holy and God, holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. What more could I have done for you I gave you my peace and my truth, but you fight in my name and divide my church. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I commend your brother and sister, 
hungry, yet you give me no food, thirsty, yet you give me no drink, a stranger, and you do not welcome me, naked, and you do not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you do not visit me. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I have to agree with my brother Randolph that we need a holy God, merciful and true to have mercy on us. And so today on Good Friday, I'd like to talk about truth, even a truth that's heavy and even a truth that hurts. And we've heard Kathy read in Psalm 22 about the despisal and the rejection that Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. And we've seen some truths about ourselves, some truths that maybe we might prefer to remain hidden reflected in that prayer reading from the Book of Common Prayer. We see Christ, we see his provision, we see his unity, and we turn it away all too often. This is truth, but what is truth? In a sense, it's kind of a silly question because we know what truth is, but often life is foggy and we can't understand it. We can't cut through and tell our right from our left, but sometimes I do think we know what's true and what's real, especially as we look into ourselves. When we know who we really are at our core, when we look at what we are like as people, we know. We might not like the picture that that truth paints, but it's still there. It's like these readings remind us we so often know what we ought to do and we sin by not doing it. We reject God's free gift of goodness and we return his grace with our greed. We return his faithfulness with our fleeing away. We return his divinity with division. We return his peace with petulance. We return his holiness with hate. We know that we fall short and so we must ask God, holy, merciful, and just to have mercy on us. And this, tonight, is the truth. Perhaps more apparent today on Good Friday than on any other day because today we experience that suffering, that death that Jesus Christ experienced on our behalf. We remember the sacrifice that he has made in our stead. We remember the cruelty and torture that creation ministered upon its maker because the truth is we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think we all know that that's true. Some days it's easy to lie to ourselves and say that we are good, that we can do it on our own, that we can lift up all of our broken places without any help. We might look into ourselves to find our own truth, but we find ourselves empty. Some days we see that our emptiness, our loneliness, our brokenness, our hollowness, that we need a solution, a balm, a cure, a rescue. What do we see that can fill this When we reject, when we divide, when we obscure, when we send away, what can heal and what can unite and what can reveal and what can bring us home? Jesus tells us just exactly what can in the Gospel of John. In chapter 14, verse six, he says clearly to us that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. He is truth. We know this. We know this in our heads. And you're probably here today, whether here with me in the room or gathered with us online, because you know at some level, some part of you instinctively knows that Jesus is 
the answer. We know this. We know it. But how often do we avoid it? How often do we reject it? How often do we cast the truth away, chasing the truth of some other solution, some other framing of the problem, some other kicking the can down the road? And in so doing, we know exactly what we're doing. How often do we look truth in the face and flinch and turn away? This is just exactly what Pontius Pilate faced in John chapter 18. Pilate was the Roman prefect in Jerusalem at that time, delegated by Caesar to rule over the area where Jesus Christ lived and ministered in the name of Rome. We don't know a lot about Pilate in terms of his motivations or his beliefs or what he was really like or what he was really struggling with, but John's gospel gives us some insight and some gaps to consider. And when I read this text, I don't see Pilate primarily as an evil, conniving person, bent primarily to administrate as much cruelty on his constituents as possible. I mean, maybe that's true, but I see Pilate in this text much more as someone who sees himself stuck between a rock and a hard place. Stuck between dealing what he sees as justice for one person against the backdrop of an angry mob. How can you find truth, real justice, real mercy, real righteousness when you have such competing factors? So let's read in John chapter 18 and see what Pilate chooses. Will he choose truth? Let's start in verse 33. It says that Pilate went back into the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And so with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release this, the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, not him, no. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Pilate's questions keep on haunting me. I think they haunt all of humanity. What is truth? What is truth? What is real? What is right? What is worth it? What is purpose? Is there any relief? How long will I remain here knowing how far I fall short? Where is a solution? What is truth? Where is it and how can I see it? Like us, Pilate asks questions of God. I wonder if also like us, he's trying to have faith despite it all or if he is hanging a more cynical edge on these questions. I mean, look at what he asks. I mean, first we see him ask Jesus, are you really a king? Now this one, Pilate knows the answer to, or so he thinks. He knows that Caesar is king, he knows it. Because for someone even to claim to be a king in that age was treason. It was setting yourself up for authority you did not earn, could not have, and it was absurd to think otherwise. Are you a king, Pilate asks, but really asking, are you foolish enough to claim this for yourself? You know, Pilate 
only knows one type of king, though. And so Jesus replies with a penetrating question of his own, doesn't he? Do you think that I am a king? Jesus asks, or did someone tell you this? I think that Jesus is asking that very same question of us today. Do you think that he is a king? I think he wants to find out if you have really given allegiance to his kingdom yourself. I think he wants to find in the midst of the crowds and the confusion and the pressure and the pain, am I your king? Am I your Lord? Or did someone else decide this for you? And like Pilate, we get to decide. But like Pilate, we don't have final say over what truth is. Whether or not we believe it, Jesus is Lord. Whether or not we act like it, Jesus is king. I think Pilate sees that. I think he knows that, at least at some seed or some grain of truth. He might not be able to articulate it. He might not even understand what he thinks he believes, but I think he knows there's truth when he looks into Jesus' eyes, even if he doesn't quite know why. After all, if Pilate thought this was all patently false or absurd or untrue, he could have just condemned him to prison or sent him away to die without a second thought. Jesus, in his mind, would have been forgotten. But we see this struggle here in Pilate. He knows the truth. He sees it. But to accept the fullness of it proves hard to do, hard to carry, a heavy truth for a heavy day. And that's why Pilate asks the second question. He asks Jesus, am I a Jew just like you? Your own people handed you over. And here in asking this question, Pilate is trying to show a gap between himself and between Jesus. In drawing attention to the racial and political group that Pilate is a part of, he wants to demonstrate to Christ that no, we are not the same. I'm a Roman. I'm in authority. I'm in charge. I control my destiny. I control your destiny, Pilate thinks. I can carry this burden, my own. I don't need you. In fact, Pilate thinks, Jesus, you are beneath me. You see, I think our questions reveal so much about ourselves and what we are really struggling with. And I think Pilate is struggling to hold on to his power. He's worried. He's afraid. He can't do the right thing because the right thing is too complicated. He can't please everyone. He can't even please himself. He can't be seen to associate with a prisoner like Jesus, but he can't carry this burden of truth and please his crowds. A lot of what we chase in the world, just like Pilate, is simply false, a lie, or in the words of Ecclesiastes, like a vapor, meaningless and hard to see. But Jesus is truth beyond what we can see and beyond what we can know. In verse 36, Jesus tells Pilate that his kingdom isn't of this world. And in a way, Jesus is confirming that Pilate is right. They're not the same as each other. It's just that the dynamic isn't what Pilate thinks. He has it, in fact, exactly backwards. The kingdom that Jesus rules is a kingdom not of this world. We've seen this taught throughout Jesus' whole life in all four gospels. We see Jesus teaching us things like whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. But whoever gives their life away will truly find it. It's upside down. We find that Jesus did not come into the world to be served, but to serve us and to give a life as a ransom for many. It's upside down. And this is why when Jesus teaches us that his kingdom is coming here on earth as it is in heaven, that his kingdom, not of this world, but of the eternal and true one, is indeed coming. Is Jesus a king? Do you say so? 
Where is your allegiance? So Pilate's last question here, I think, is perhaps the sharpest because he asks Jesus just boldly, what is the truth? Pilate sees the truth face to face. And I wonder what his exhaustions, or what his emotions were. Exhaustion, (laughs) blaming, avoiding. He's becoming like the people we read about from the Book of Common Prayer this evening who knows the good that he ought to do but just won't do it. Caught between the crowds and the truth itself, Pilate chooses the crowd. There's no joy in Pilate as he does so, just it seems more like resignation. The one who is truth itself, Pilate looks fully in the face of and turns away. Looking right at the way, the truth, and the life, Pilate is blind. He can't see it. How absurd is that? The truth is right in front of you. The one who came to reconcile people to God, the one who is, even right now, as they were speaking, filling that gap that humanity could never cross, the one mediator between God and man, the one who is God himself, Pilate, looks away. He flinches. He balks. How often do we, like Pilate, look truth full in the face and flinch? How often do we know that the truth really is surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and simply don't or won't or can't do so? How often do we, like the crowd, ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus? How often do we choose the quick and the easy even if we know it's wrong? We know it's not right. We know it's not a real substitute for the truth and the goodness of Jesus, but we choose it anyway. Maybe we choose food when we should choose prayer. We choose anger when we could choose forgiveness. We choose indulgence when we could choose generosity. We choose ourselves when we could choose Christ. How often? The truth is, probably something like every single day. So here on Good Friday, as we, as we sit in that sobering truth that we choose wrong every single day, we do get some glimmers of good news and a flickering of hope because even as we reject Jesus, he stands right there in front of us, looking at us, loving us, and he does not flinch from what it takes. He made a way where there was no way otherwise. Jesus' death, this crucifixion, in part is God's own answer to suffering. He looks at us, this brokenness that we have, and he walks into it with us and for us and because of us and on behalf of us. And so we know that when he tells us he will never leave us and never forsake us, it's true. He has the scars to prove it. So today, this day, Good Friday, it's a day of remembering how he carried to the cross everything that plagues us, everything that holds us back, everything that mars us, everything which hurts us. He tells the truth about it every last bit and pays it all anyway. Let's look how the Gospel of John describes that crucifixion experience in chapter 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. It tells us that the soldiers took charge of Jesus Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. 
And Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I love this passage and I wanna call our attention to a few things here that I think speak to who Jesus is and what his work here on earth has accomplished so that we can tell the full truth about it. I want us to see, number one, that John's gospel doesn't emphasize the pain and the suffering in the crucifixion, but rather John emphasizes the triumph. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says that he carries his own cross. You know, in the other gospels, we see a much more vivid picture of Jesus' suffering, and that is a true and a real part of Passion Week as well. But John doesn't choose to emphasize that particular portion. He wants to emphasize the role that Jesus has as the one who conquers sin and the one who conquers death. As Jesus heads to the cross, nothing can stop him. He's not forced to go. He didn't lose the trial. He's not like a pawn in some grand cosmic game, but rather he carries that cross up the hill for you, for me, for Pilate, for the crowds, for all of us. He carries it. Jesus indeed paid it all. But look at how briefly John describes the actual facts of the crucifixion. He could hardly have said less if he tried. There, they crucified him. That's all he says, but it rings out. It sits on our ears and in our hearts. This is what they did. This is what they tried to do to him. This is what they succeeded in doing to him. But for John, it's almost as if it's not a big deal. Now, of course, John moves on in this chapter to describe a bit more about what happens when Jesus is on the cross, but you never, ever get the sense in John that Jesus will not be equal to this task. You never, ever get the sense that he might not be able to do it, and you never, ever really even get the sense that he views the crowds or the soldiers or the priests or even Pilate as his enemies at all. Rather, he regards them as people to be died for, people to be saved, to be reconciled to him. When they all looked at Jesus and saw truth that they weren't ready to accept, Jesus looks back and he sees truth as well. The truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and he dies for them, for us, for the crowds, and for Pilate anyway. And I wonder if Pilate even had this truth begin to dawn on him a little bit on that day because I think one of the most poignant images in the entire Gospel of John is in verse 19 where we see that Pilate produces a sign and it proclaims the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, it proclaims. In Latin and in Greek and in Aramaic, it rings out so that no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what language you speak, the truth is not lost on you. This sign says it, Jesus is king. I wonder what Pilate had in his heart as he made the sign, because you, know, you almost can view it two different ways. The first way is to see Pilate writing this almost ironically, as, as if it's a way to call attention to the absurdity of the claims that Christ makes. After all, how could anyone see a crucified man, a person suffering a traitor and a criminal's death, how can anyone see that person as a king, let alone the king of an entire nation of people? Perhaps Pilate is, in fact, trying to rub it in, so to speak, just how far short Jesus falls from his mission because at first glance, it does seem like he might be falling short, doesn't it? 
I mean, his disciples thought so. Most of them had scattered and gone. The, the Romans certainly thought so. They inflicted the same death on two more traitors right next to Jesus Christ. And the Jewish leaders thought so. It, it was better, the high priest said, that to have one person like this die than to have all of Caesar's armies fall upon them in retribution. Maybe this is what Pilate means, or, or maybe Pilate means this sign in earnest. Maybe he really does believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Maybe he's been convinced. Maybe despite his flinching, despite his looking away, despite his inability to follow fully through and do what he believes is the right thing in declaring Jesus innocent and setting him free, maybe he really does somehow, some way, believe that Jesus is the king he claimed to be. <laughs> but whether or not Pilate believes it, the sign declares the truth. Jesus is king. Maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe the reality is that Pilate truthfully declares with these words, not even on purpose, more than he means to. Maybe his declaration is heavier than he even intended. Because don't we view these kinds of signs and these kind of declarations and these kind of truths about Christ in both ways when we bargain with God ourselves? Don't we also have problems putting our heart and our full soul into a declaration of truth about who Jesus is? I mean, have you ever said to God something like, if you'll only do this for me, then I will serve you? Or maybe you've asked him, how are you not there for me when I need you? Or maybe you say, this hurts so much, why won't you help me? When we pray like this, we declare the truth, both that we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but also that we can't quite see it all the way fully, not now, not quite yet, and not in the midst of the pain. But truth cannot be stopped, no matter what. And I think that's why the crowds, they push back against this sign. They don't like it. The Jewish leaders here especially don't like the truth that this declares. They don't like confessing Jesus as their king. They continue to try to distance themselves from him. We are not the same, they say. He is not a king, they say. Certainly not our king, they say. He is not the truth, they say. But Pilate, maybe on purpose, maybe on accident, maybe a bit of both, cuts through all that and says, what I have written, let it be written. It doesn't matter what Pilate affirms. It doesn't matter what the Jewish leaders claim. It doesn't even matter what I say here today. What matters is the truth. Truth cannot be stopped. It's because truth, by definition, is that which is coherent with the reality of the universe. Jesus is Lord, whether you confess it or not. Jesus died for you, whether you believe it or not. Jesus offers forgiveness, whether you accept it or not. What he has written in his time on that cross, he has written. It cannot be stopped. You know, so we began this evening with some reflections about truth, about ourselves, about our brokenness, about the way our sin makes us fall short. And I think that's part of the truth of Good Friday. We looked at truth through Pilate's eyes and the pressure that this world squeezes on us to make us flinch and look away, to deny the truth. We've seen how different people deal with it, maybe head on, facing it down, maybe ironically, accidentally carrying more weight of belief than we expect, or maybe you fight against the truth, denying it, rejecting it, combating it. But I'd love for us, most of all, to look fully at the unceasing, all-conquering nature of Jesus' trip to the cross. And so now we get a choice. When we look at that cross, when we behold Jesus there on Good Friday, 
and indeed every day. What do we do? How do we respond? Do we offer ourselves to Jesus? Or do we flinch? Do we look away? What is truth? Can you believe it? Can you accept it? I encourage you tonight as we sit in silence with one another, responding to Christ in our heart, I think you might even know the truth to which he is calling you. Are you willing to accept it, to look it fully in the face? (laughs) Truth catches up with us all. You cannot carry life alone. Only Christ can carry it for you. Let's pray as we enter our time of silence. And so, Lord, we don't see you face to face, but help us to see with our spiritual eyes. Father, we try to believe, help our unbelief. Would you carry our crosses for us? May we respond in silence. Will you meet us there?